Blog Talk Radio. Talk Box Radio. Talk Box Radio. Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Talk Box Radio. I'm your host, Lisa Earhart. For more information about TalkBox Radio or to be a guest on an upcoming show, visit TalkBoxRadio.com. I'd love to hear from you. Today's topic is finding your purpose and living on purpose with my special returning guest, author Greg Creech, a leading authority on Japanese psychology whose work is centered on self-reflection and purposeful living. Do you have a clear vision of what you should be doing with your life? Are you taking the necessary risks to live according to your purpose or playing it safe? Are you clear on what you need to be doing or putting it off until some point in the future, like retirement or when the kids go to college? If you're not sure what your true purpose is, how do you discover it? These are the kinds of questions we'll explore today. And now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome back to the show, Greg Creech. Greg, welcome back. Thank you, Lisa. It's nice to be back. Well, it's a pleasure to have you again. So uh, before we launch into our topic here of finding your purpose and living on purpose, why don't you just tell us, our listeners how they can find you and also a little bit about the services that you offer. Well, okay, thank you. Um, You're welcome. We have, a, um, <clears throat> of course, a website uh Several my my personal blog is called thirty thousand days dot org, mm-hmm. um, and it's based on the idea that we have an average of about thirty thousand days to live each of us. Um, mm-hmm. So if they go to the, it's all spelled out as one word thirty thousand days dot org, they'll be able to find a lot of my writing. Um, and uh, our main website is the Toto Institute website, which uh, Toto. Institute is the organization I run, and that's todoinstitute.org. Um, and then um, if they're interested in reading one of my books, uh, my most recent book is called The Art of Taking Action, Lessons from Japanese Psychology, and they can find that on Amazon. Right, and we did a podcast about that book, and it is a fantastic, beautifully written book. Thank you. Uh, very helpful, yes. Good. And what other services do you offer on that website? Well, we are a um, nonprofit organization that um, essentially offers approaches um, that come from Japan, approaches to mental health and psychology that come from Japan. So mm-hmm. um, we do education and training. Um, I do a series of online courses throughout the year. I'm doing a course right now actually called um, Taking Action, Starting the Unstarted and Finishing the Unfinished. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have other courses coming up over the year. We also do um, retreats here in Vermont for people who want to travel here mm-hmm. and step back from their life and have some time to kind of uh, get some distance from things and rethink things. Um, we have a wonderful place in the Green Mountains uh, where people can come. Uh, we also we do some individual one-on-one work, usually by Skype or phone, uh, and we have a bookstore where we sell um, books, both ours and some of the other outstanding books that we recommend to people. And so all of that they'll be able to find through the website. Well, that's terrific. Good. So uh, why don't we launch into our topic? Oh, I also wanted to ask you, as I digress again, (laughs) would you just encapsulate, if it's possible to do so, what the difference is 
between Japanese psychology and Western psychology? Sure, and I think it's a it's a question that comes up all the time, and I I'll try to do it in a brief way. But I think uh, the underlying values of of approaches from Japan and approaches from the West are really very different. And so in Japanese psychology, mm-hmm. you see more of an emphasis on gratitude, on appreciating people in your life, as opposed to blame, mm-hmm. for example, on mm-hmm. blaming others for why we're messed up. In mm-hmm. uh, Japanese psychology, you see more of an emphasis on action and less of an emphasis on talk. Um, so if you work with someone who's trained in this approach, you're going to be actually taking a lot more action and doing a lot less talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the final thing, which which relates, in, I think, also to our discussion today, is really there's um, uh, more of an emphasis on living a purposeful life or a purpose-centered life and less on living what we call a feeling-centered life. And that means that um, mm-hmm. the the focus we have is basically how to use our 30,000 days in a way that gives our life meaning and gives us a sense of fulfillment and not on how to use our 30,000 days to try to always feel good or be happy. Uh, Now, Hmm. interestingly enough, I think when we have a more purpose-centered life, when we're doing the things that we really find important and meaningful to do, we're actually more likely to, at least uh, from time to time, feel happy and feel good. Um, And there's actually a number of studies that have been done that suggest that when people try to pursue happiness in a direct kind of way, they're actually um, less likely to find it. But uh, the approach that we, we take based on Japanese mm-hmm. psychology is really um, what do you want to do with your life and how could you move forward uh, and, and do it? Um, and accepting the fact that when we do that, our feelings are going to go through uh, ups and downs. It's, it's a roller coaster ride where we go from depression to joy and, and back to anxiety. And, um, and so we <laughs> accept that that's part of the human condition but in the meantime, it doesn't keep us from doing the things that we want to do. Right. So as opposed to saying, I feel really bad, so I'm not going to take any steps now. I'm not going to do anything. You right. And, and yeah, you allowing those feelings to essentially um, uh, become an obstacle to us taking action uh, as opposed to um, recognizing that one of the best ways to deal with unpleasant feelings and discomfort is actually to take action. There's a wonderful quote that I use by um, Joan Baez who says, um, action is the antidote to despair. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's a great uh, mantra for how to live our life, You know, to be able to um, recognize that at this particular moment I feel depressed or I feel despair or I feel anxious um, and that that it's not that I have to get myself to feel better and then I can take the action I need to take. It's that taking the Mm -hmm. action actually can in many cases be the cure to that Mm -hmm. despair or depression or anxiety. And um, I would like to also suggest that with Western psychology, there can be a value to talking about how you're feeling or to work with a therapist who helps you to understand what you're feeling because there are a lot of people walking around kind of unconscious. They don't even know they're feeling stressed or they don't even know they have anxiety, they have fear, but they are living in the way that, that those emotions are controlling them. Would you agree with that? Well, I think if, if people are 
using an approach that's working for them, then I always suggest that they continue doing that. Um, So a lot of the people who gravitate towards our material are really people who have been in therapy um, Mm -hmm. and they've learned a lot about themselves and who they are and how they're feeling, but they're not doing the things they need to be doing in their life. And and so some people see this as an alternative. Some people would say it's complementary. But the the key thing from my standpoint is recognizing Mm -hmm. that we have a limited amount of time Mm -hmm. that we have to live and that um, I don't want to personally don't want to spend a lot of my time trying to understand why I am the way I am. I would much mm-hmm. rather spend that time doing something um, uh, meaningful that can contribute to the world or doing something joyful with my family, um, but engaging with the world in a way that um, that I find meaningful as opposed to sitting and, and kind of talking and analyzing. Right, right. So what are the steps to create a life of living on purpose and finding your purpose? Well, I would suggest that there's kind of three <clears throat> phases to this. And mm-hmm. um, the the first phase is really the search. We can call it the search. And mm-hmm. there's we can use actually the analogy of um, looking for clothes. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for a new dress or a new suit or a new pair of pants, um, you know, you have the idea that there's something that you need to get some new clothes, right? And mm-hmm. <clears throat> And so... The analogy uh, is works because how do you know when you've actually um, found that that suit that you basically are looking for? Um, you're not you don't know it because you're thinking about it, right? And you actually don't even know it when you see it on a mannequin or you see it hanging in a store. Um, mm-hmm. We know that that's the right suit for us or the right pair of pants when we've tried it on, mm-hmm. and we say you know, this is it, this, is, this fits, it, mm-hmm. it looks nice, right? Or someone's mm-hmm. with us and they say, that's really you. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for in terms of our life's work, in terms of our purpose. We're mm-hmm. looking for something that fits. But the mistake a lot of people make is that in the process, um, we feel that we can find something that fits by thinking our way through it. Hmm. Right? In other words, if we spend enough time thinking about what we want to do, we'll figure it out. And mm-hmm. uh, um, a lot of the people who, who I've worked with individually and in, in courses are very intelligent people. Um, and what I find is that the more intelligent a person is, the more they have the idea that you can figure out life in your mind. And, <laughs> yeah, we call it cerebral. Yes, and, and I don't think that you can in most cases. I think you figure mm-hmm. out life by basically living, by working yeah. through life. And you figure out mm-hmm. whether um, that suit is the right suit for you by trying it on. And in mm-hmm. terms of purpose, it means you actually mm-hmm. have to get in there and do the thing that you're thinking mm-hmm. of doing, and then you're going to know whether it's a good fit for you, right? Okay. And so <clears throat> if you want, if, if you think, I would really like to start a podcast Mm-hmm. Um, you you don't really have any idea whether that's really right for you until you actually are are running a podcast. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you agree or disagree about that? Oh, absolutely, sure. Yeah. And and so once you're running that podcast, you may say, "This is it. This is what I want to do. I get a lot of satisfaction out of this. I feel like I'm 
the, with the guests I have and the show that I have, I'm, I'm contributing to the world in some meaningful way. Or you may say, you know, I don't like this at all. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. like talking to people like this, and I don't like mm-hmm. spending so much time on the phone or in a studio. And, but you're not going to know those things until you're doing them. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we have to recognize about the search is that the search requires us to, to try things on. And we, it's not a straight line. It's not that we, um, in looking for our life's work, we think, okay, what should I be doing with my life? And then one day, after a lot of thinking, it just hits us. Oh, I think what I should be doing is trying to, <clears throat> um, you know, work with uh, medicine in third world countries. And then we say that's it, and we go and do that, and that becomes our life's work. And there's very few people who actually, if any, who end up on that straight and arrow path from point A to point B. And so it's much more of a zigzag route. It's kind of like sailing. You know, if, you've, if anybody mm-hmm. who's listening sails, you, you have to work with the wind, and you, you constantly mm-hmm. tack, you zigzag back and forth to get to your destination. You can't just usually go straight there. And so we recognize that this isn't a, a straight path and that it's going to require us to try things and discover that that's not the right thing for us, and then move on to another thing, and that that's actually a successful approach to finding your purpose. Hmm. So would you say also that a purpose can change? A life's work could be varied, not just one thing? Well, um, Um, I hear, um, I kind of hear two questions there, and I think over <laughs> the course of our lives, I think our purpose can change. Mm-hmm. I think um, we can we can find, um, for instance, uh, really meaningful purpose in being a, a mom or a dad and mm-hmm. having a family. And I, I have two teenage girls. One of them is a freshman in college now, and the other one is getting mm-hmm. ready to go to college. So I spent you know, the last 19 years of my life, that's been a big part of my purpose, has basically been raising my kids and trying to get them ready to kind of launch their own lives in the world. Uh, but uh, that role that I've played and the purpose that I had in raising them is really coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And um, I have other things that I'm doing in my life in terms mm-hmm. of my work. But um, for some people, that's their primary purpose, being a mom or being a dad. And it's mm-hmm. a wonderful purpose. But um, we have to be prepared to, to shift to a different purpose when mm-hmm. that transition takes place. The same thing happens mm-hmm. with retirement, right? People mm-hmm. work at a job, and it could be a job they really love, but they reach a point where, for whatever reason, they whether it's age or incapacity, they can't do that job anymore. And then, um, and then they stop working at that particular job. And the mm-hmm. traditional approach we've had up until recently is that when you did that, when you stopped, you know, you then collected Social Security and your pension and you moved to Florida <laughs> mm-hmm. and you lived in a condominium on the golf course and you got up late and read the newspaper and took walks. And most people would find that a ended up finding that a very depressing existence. And the reason is they they have no reason for getting up in the morning. Mm. We don't find meaning in getting up uh, as as nice for those of us who are really busy and we're just trying to figure out how to get through our day and check off all these things on our to-do list. The idea of a life where we can just sleep as late as we want and get up 
and read the paper, read the paper or read the news on the internet for an hour and then uh, <clears throat> take a walk on the beach sounds like it would be a dream <laughs> and yeah. and it would be probably for a few weeks but mm-hmm. we reach a point where we start asking ourselves like what's the point of my even being alive mm-hmm. just just to relax just to be able to take walks or to read um so that's why there's such a high incidence of depression in people after retirement because they don't find a replacement for the purpose they had when they were working. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's important that as we go through our life, we see these transition points, right? And we figure yeah. out how to transition from one purpose to the next purpose. Um, sometimes that's obvious and it's easy and sometimes it's not so obvious and it's a real struggle. Mm-hmm. Why don't we, for a second, define what purpose means? Well, um, it's you know it's not that easy of a thing to define, but I'll give you two kind of perspectives on it. So, in mm-hmm. um, in yoga philosophy that comes from uh, India and the East, and kind of Hinduism is anchored in his Hinduism, they use a term called dharma. And um, they use that term to represent um, kind of who we are and how we can bring who we are into the world so that we're doing what we were meant to do, right? Mm -hmm. So our dharma is kind of our true purpose unfolding in a life that we were really meant to live. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a term in Japanese that's called ikigai. And ikigai is... um, uh, is something like um, what is your reason for living or what is your purpose for getting up in the morning? Right? Mm-hmm. So they, they use that term as something that really gets to the heart of, you know, why are we here and what do we need to do? So <clears throat> to me, you know, those are kind of different, two different cultures, both from the East, but two different perspectives on kind of the what purpose means and and why it's so important. Um, but their their purpose there's the issue of purpose as it comes up just in the course of a a morning or a day, you know, where <clears throat> my purpose is to let's say work on the book that I'm writing. Right? So that's one of the purposes that I had today was to spend some time writing my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I might have you know, uh, three or, or four purposes that come into play during the course of my day. Mm-hmm. And th- those are, you know, you can think of them in different ways, but those are kind of the purpose, my daily purpose, what's actually coming up for me today. And then the other extreme, you have kind of your life's purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is the, the big picture purpose in terms of what you want to be doing with your life? And there should be a connection between those. Because um, if there isn't, then that big life purpose just remains kind of in its um, untended, undeveloped state because you're not doing something with it on a daily basis. So what you're saying here is that everybody has a life purpose. Is that correct? Well, I think that that's one of the most <clears throat> interesting questions from a kind of philosophical standpoint is, are we, do, we, are, do we come into this life or are we born with a particular purpose mm-hmm. that we're here to, um, to have unfold, right? Or mm-hmm. is it that um, 
there's lots of different things that we uh, could be doing, many of which would bring us happiness or joy or meaning or fulfillment. Um, and it's, it's not a question of there being one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that different people, you know, even in this field, would have a different way of looking at that. Um, I probably lean towards the idea that comes more from a yoga kind of perspective, which is that deep down we do have a purpose that is unique to who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, that of the 7 billion people on this planet, there's, there's no other um, Lisa <laughs> like you, right? Nobody has the exact same genetic makeup. No one looks exactly like you. Mm-hmm. No one has certainly the same um, history going back to your childhood. You yeah. are a unique human being out of 7 billion people. And so is there, the question is, is there some unique purpose that you mm-hmm. are here to do? Because when you express something creatively, and, and I hope you don't mind that I'm kind of using you as an example for our no, that's okay. discussion, but <clears throat> when you express something creatively, whether mm-hmm. it's how you write or how you speak or um, in, a, in a poem or in a song, when you're expressing something creatively, it is a unique expression in the, mm-hmm. you know, amongst all 7 billion of us. And so we can think about, you know, your purpose as being a unique expression of who you are that only mm-hmm. you are capable of offering to the world. Hmm. And I, I love that idea in part because it's very poetic, in part because it's kind of got almost a romantic kind of quality to it, um, mm-hmm. but also because I think it recognizes that each of us um, comes to this life with something unique that we have to offer to the world. And I, and I believe that that's true. Mm-hmm. So what prevents us from living on purpose? If a person has a sense of purpose, but they, or maybe they don't, but what's getting in the way? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, if we, if we look at this idea that the first phase is the search, um, yeah. Sometimes we just never find the right clothes. <laughs> we just mm. we never seem to kind of um, try something on that's that we can say like this is a this is perfect for me. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure there's much we can do about that. If we actually go through life and we're making an effort and we're trying things on here and trying things on there, um, and we don't find the right thing, then I think we've done what we can do. But more frequently, what really gets in the way, in my opinion, at least one mm-hmm. of the biggest things is that we don't take the risks that we need to take in order to really develop our true purpose. That's a that big one. It, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. huge. We play it safe. That's big. We, okay. we gravitate towards security and what we perceive as security and away from taking risks. And the older we get, the uh-huh. more we shift in that direction. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think our culture encourages people to do that. And it, 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 it kind of, um, media um, bombards us with, uh, um, you know, life insurance and health insurance oh, yeah. and car insurance, and it's all about reducing risk. Um, <clears throat> so for someone who knows, who at least believes that they know what they should be doing with their life, let's say it's yeah. um, to be a painter, yeah. to be a watercolor painter, um, mm-hmm. and they're an accountant or a lawyer, mm-hmm. And what a huge risk that would be to make that mm-hmm. shift, 
right? And so um, how many of us are willing to just simply walk into work one day and, and with our letter of resignation and say, sorry, but I'm, I'm leaving the firm um, and starting tomorrow I'm going to be a watercolor painter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very few people would do that. Very few people with families and kids would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we try to think about strategies that minimize the risk. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens, I think, is that in our effort to minimize the risk, we're looking for an approach that requires us not to take any risk. Mm. And I don't think that that's almost never going to be available to us. That um, at some point, it's like leaping into a, a lake or a pool of water, or you can call it a leap of faith. But at some point, we have to jump. Right, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we can maybe reduce our risk somebody, somewhat, but at some point, when when we're looking at trying something new, and we don't know whether it's going to work or not, we really have to take that risk. Mm-hmm. And if we don't, then we just basically um, stay in our existing clothes that we've been wearing for the last 20 or 30 years, even though they're kind of raggy and tattered and stains on them, but they fit really nice because we've been wearing them so long. And so we just say, you know what, I'll just continue to wear these. Um, Even though we know that we're ready for something different, for something new. Right. I mean, we might be miserable, but, but it's familiar. And in some way we're comfortable with that because, you know, we know what to expect. My question to you also is what about minimizing the risk, still taking risk, but keeping your day job while you're doing it so you're not throwing out your income, let's say? Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, that's, it's a great option. And, and I know people who have um, gone from full-time jobs to part-time jobs. I know people who have gone from working full-time to three-quarter time. So they had a little yeah. bit of time and they can start – moving in the direction of being a a yoga teacher or a Tai Chi teacher or a watercolor painter or a writer or whatever it is that they want to do. Um, And I don't don't think that there's any problem with that as long as you're moving in the right direction. The the problem is really when people get stuck, Mm. Um, when there's a dissonance between what they know they should be doing and what they are doing. You know, if if you're doing work, or you're in a life that um, you know isn't working for you, you know it's not a good fit, you know it, it isn't what you should be doing, then mm-hmm. that's great information. You're getting a lesson that this is not what you should be doing. But to mm-hmm. ignore that lesson and keep doing it um, is torture for most people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just suffering to to keep moving every day and um, to wake up in the morning, you know, dreading or at least not looking forward to what you have mm-hmm. to do that day because mm-hmm. um, you don't find any fulfillment or meaning in it. Now, what, let's talk about risks. What is it that's risky about trying something new that might be more fulfilling to your purpose in life? What is it that's risky? Well, I think that what's risky is that to some degree, either 100% or in some limited way, we have to leave um, the place that we're on. So um, mm-hmm. let's use a, base, a baseball analogy, right? You're on yeah. um, a base. You're on first base. 
Um, but it's a little bit different of a situation because you actually can't see second base in this game. <laughs> yeah. um, you just know you're on first base, and mm-hmm. you'd like to get to another base. You're not exactly sure where that base is, right? And yeah. the moment you start running or even walking or even crawling off first base, you've mm-hmm. left what is provided you with security and comfort mm-hmm. for, in most cases, many, many years. And so yeah. the risk is leaving what you know for, some, for what you don't know, right? And that feels, for many of us, that feels very scary, very frightening. But there's also a risk in exposing your, I mean, you're talking about painting. So mm-hmm. let's say you're, you're an artist, and now you're going to take risks showing the world what you are creating Mm-hmm. And you have to be open to judgment, criticism. What about that risk? And how do people deal with that when they know this is my life purpose, mm-hmm. and yet they may be very sensitive to criticism, and maybe that stops them from moving forward? What about mm-hmm. that? Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think that that is an issue mm-hmm. for a lot of people in a lot of changes, is that um, when we uh, move off that base that provided us with that security and comfort and into something that has some uncertainty in it that we're new at, we're, we're bound to make mistakes. We're bound to fail in certain ways. And um, we have to accept that as part of the cost of doing something different, right? Um, you know, you probably heard of Brene Brown, and she she's, talks about this idea of vulnerability, so mm-hmm, when yeah. we get off that base, we put ourselves in a vulnerable situation. Um, so we have to decide that it's worth the risk. Um, you know, you see writers go through this all the time. So, for instance, I've, I've written a number of books. They've all been nonfiction. And as soon as mm-hmm. I finish this, this book I'm finishing up now, I'm going to be starting my first um, fiction book, my first um, well, novel, good. which will be a spiritual novel. And even though I've been writing and editing for over 20 years, I feel an anxiety about doing this because this is completely different kind of writing, right? And I don't know if I can succeed in being a good writer when it comes to writing fiction or a spiritual novel. So Mm -hmm. suddenly I'm in a position where um, people who know my work and know my books and have certain expectations um, a year or two or three years down the road, I'm going to be putting out, hopefully, um, a work of fiction, and it can completely fail. It could be terrible, right? But what and does so, fail mean, really? What 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 is failure, really? You know, I mean, isn't well, the biggest fail? Isn't the biggest failure in action? Yeah. I mean, if we're going to get yeah. real about it, you know, mm-hmm. isn't that the biggest yeah. fail? Not taking the risk. Absolutely. In fact, there you go. Um, I would I would say I think in agreement with you that there's yeah. more of a risk to inaction okay. than there is to making that change. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you think about it, if you were at the end of your life and you were looking back, would yes. you rather look back and say, I really wish I could have tried this or done this and I regret not, not even trying? Or would yeah. you rather say, you know, I tried this, it didn't work out the way I hoped, but at least I gave it a try. Right? Yeah. So I would much prefer to have tried and failed, whatever that means, you know, in a practical sense, I would much prefer to have tried and failed than to look back on my life and thinking, you know, 
maybe I could have written a wonderful novel, but I just never gave it a shot. Yeah. Um, see, because I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to this idea of failing because I, I really think that's limiting to a person's mm-hmm. thought process if they want to take action because if they're afraid of failing, then they're putting these mm-hmm. limits on themselves. So why not mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm, I'm taking action. I might want to do it differently, you know, or maybe somebody doesn't like it, but that doesn't mean I failed. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Sure. It's like if you're running a marathon. Okay, I didn't win, but I ran it, so therefore I didn't mm-hmm. fail. Or I mm-hmm. gave my very best effort. I ran as far as I could, so I succeeded in that. You know, so, for example, I'm just going to give you an analogy. My daughter had a job interview uh, yesterday. She said I didn't get the job. And what I said, instead mm-hmm. of saying, oh, you failed, what I said is, mm-hmm. well, good for you for having the courage to do that interview. You know, mm-hmm. so is everything can be looked at, you know, glass half empty, glass half full, Look at the positives. And mm-hmm. I like to consider, you know, eradicating this idea of failure and putting something else in its place, like taking another action. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, let me ask you this about vulnerability. What are you afraid of in terms of uh, writing something? Are you, are you concerned about how it's going to be received by other people and their criticism possibly? Um. Yes, if I, I think can ask that, you a personal question. Sure. No, I'm I'm okay. happy. To, um, I, I think the same kind of things come up for me that probably come up with a lot of writers. You're you're afraid that the book won't get published. You're afraid that it'll get published and it won't sell. You're afraid that it'll get published and it'll be um, very negatively, uh, critically reviewed by people. Um, you know, you're afraid that you'll invest a huge amount of your time and energy over a period of years. And um, at the other end, though, there'll be nothing to show for it but a, um, an unpublished manuscript. So there's all kind of fears that come up. Um, the, the key thing for me, and, and in terms of mm-hmm. people that, that I teach, and this really relates very much to our work, is not to allow those fears to actually prevent you from doing what you, what you need to do. Right? Mm-hmm. is to recognize and notice those fears and accept mm-hmm. that. And, and in Japanese psychology, um, yeah. we actually see um, fear as a, a positive thing because um, if I can, there's a, um, a term in Japanese called sei no yokubo, and it kind of um, allows us to look at um, some of our uncomfortable feeling states like fear as simply the other side of a coin of something which is um, a positive aspect of our character or personality. So, for instance, the reason that a person might feel anxious mm-hmm. about, um, let's say, write, writing a book is, yeah. um, is that they're afraid of failing, but that's the same thing as your desire to succeed. Mm. So in the West... In the West, we think that these are two different things. In other words, we would say, mm. if you have a desire to succeed, that's great. But if you have a fear of failing, I apologize for using that word, but if you, if you have a fear <laughs> of, fa- of failing, um, okay. that's terrible. And so in our therapy with you, we're going to try to essentially exercise or surgically remove that fear. But in Japanese psychology, we say that fear of failure is the exact same thing as your desire to succeed. 
right? Mm-hmm. Your, shy, your shyness, if a person who is shy in social mm-hmm. situations, your shyness is the same thing as your desire to be liked, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're not two separate things. They're the same things. And just like with two sides of a coin, you actually can't extricate one side of that coin. You can't surgically remove the, the side that feels um, unpleasant and just leave behind that, that nice, positive, pleasant side. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I often tell people who are anxious, you know, that um, anxiety can really work for you. It can um, be a wonderful form of energy that can get you to actually <clears throat> accomplish more in your life than you would if you weren't anxious. And, um, and I think that that's really very true, that, that often people who, who have a lot of anxiety work harder to do what they're doing and come up with um, better results than people who are so confident that they feel like they don't even have to prepare for a presentation or an interview, or they can just write the first draft and that's going to be a successful book without having to rewrite it you know, 12 times or something. So anxiety is, is, yeah. can, be, can be a wonderfully yeah. positive thing, but here's the key. The same thing yeah. is true with fear is, is that <clears throat> the energy that, that you get from anxiety and fear will work against you if you basically just allow it to circulate inside. But if you yeah. translate that energy into productive energy where you're doing something in the world that's actually helping you to succeed, then it actually works as an asset. So in other words, if your anxiety becomes, I'm just going to sit around and ruminate and, you know, just ruminate about, you know, what if I do this and it doesn't work out? What if I try to run the marathon and I can't finish? And it just becomes rumination. But if the anxiety translates into, I'm really anxious about this marathon that I've got coming up in the fall. So I'm going to really start training right now. And I'm going to really start training hard. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, that anxiety then is actually an asset. It's an ally. And so mm-hmm. instead of trying to get rid of fear or get rid of anxiety, the question is how can we use that energy in a way that becomes an asset to us? Mm-hmm. Well, I like this whole idea of the two sides of a coin. That's, that's really helpful because in this culture, too, we're taught, well, have a drink, you know, get rid of the pain or have a drug. You know how many drug mm-hmm. commercials there are on TV now? It's unbelievable. <laughs> and let's not even talk about the side effects, okay? That's the funniest part of all. It's not funny if you haven't, but, you know. And now for the side effects. <laughs> this drug can kill you, but that's okay. Take it anyway. <laughs> so it's just, you know, stuff. Now, I'm not saying that all drug commercials are about addressing your your fears, but... I'm just talking mm-hmm. about in general how we're taught, oh, I need a drink. You know, mm-hmm. I'm scared. I need a drink. This is too much for me. I have to have a drink or whatever, you know, drugs, smoke, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're talking about just not, do, not going someplace else or trying to sedate that or, or, or medicate. I know you're not, you, you weren't mentioning drugs or anything, drinking, but mm-hmm. you're talking about accepting that with this with this feeling of purpose will also be the other side, which is anxiety. And is that mm-hmm. everybody, would you say pretty much everybody, everybody who has been quote unquote successful out in the world doing their thing, whatever it is, fulfilling their purpose, also experiences anxiety? Would you say that's very common? 
I would say it's common. I could I couldn't necessarily say everybody, but I would say that mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would say that it's um if if we um read biographies or autobiographies right. of some right. of the people we would see as, you know, heroes in the world, um, that if they were revealing what's going on inside them that we would often see that there's some level of anxiety. So for some people it could be tremendous and for some people it's it's limited but um but I think it's very common and I think what we see in people who have been, you know, amazingly successful um is people who have <clears throat> learned to coexist with that anxiety or that fear but continue to move forward with what was important for them to do in their life. Someone like Gandhi, someone like Martin Luther King, you know, we we can think of people who really stand out in history. And often it's not that those people didn't feel anxiety or fear. It's that they learned to coexist with those feelings and not mm-hmm. allow those feelings to kind of stop them um, and keep them from doing what they know that they needed to do in mm-hmm. terms of their purpose. Martin Luther King had a, really clear purpose. Gandhi had a really clear purpose, right? They were they were people who lived with purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything else that you can suggest as far as getting unstuck and finding a life with purpose? Well, I think that there... Um, they're really this, the part that has to do with the search, right, where people are trying to find what their purpose is. It seems to me that there's two things that both can be helpful. So one I talked about, and it really has to do with getting out there and engaging in the world and trying new things, just like you try on new clothes, trying on different kinds of jobs or different kind of work. And in some cases, you don't have to quit your job to do that. If you if you want to try on painting or being a sculptor or being a poet, you don't have to quit your job to try those things. Um, so it means actually, you know, getting yourself into a situation where you can do that work, whether it be in the evenings or part-time or on the weekends or by cutting back, to see whether that actually is a good fit. The other side of that is really a contemplative approach, which I think is valuable. Um, it's just it's just that we we have to make sure we don't see that as the only approach. But it means, you know, really stepping back from your life um, mm-hmm. in a way that most of us don't do at all or very often. Um, and part of the reason that many of us aren't even on the search is that we're so caught up with the daily busyness of life, you know, with waking up in the morning making our lists, we've got to buy some groceries, we've got to pick up our kids at the soccer game, we have to go to work, we have this to do. And then in the, in the evening, if we have any free time, we, we zone out in front of Facebook or the TV or something. So we, we don't even consider the possibility that we can step back and actually really look at you know, how we're living, how much time we might have left, and what we want to do with our life. And I think some of the retreats we offer here at, at um, our center really have that kind of quality where you, you get into a natural setting, you step back from your life, you leave behind your bills, your phones, you know, everything that kind of um, occupies you normally, and you really have time to think about um, what do I want to do with the rest of my life. And I think that um, having taking that contemplative time, whether it be, you know, um, a couple of hours in the evening periodically or a weekend retreat someplace or a week or even traveling to someplace that you've never been before, right, Mm -hmm. often will give you that experience of 
realizing that when you disconnect from your daily life, you suddenly get some perspective on how you're living. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just doing this math problem um, that's related to the 30,000 days can be a great way to suddenly shock you into the realization that you're not going to live forever. And that math problem is actually to figure out um, if you have 30,000 days to live, statistically, how many do you have left? Mm-hmm. And that's actually a math problem. And so you can sit down and calculate, um, based on your age and your birthday, how many days you've lived so far. And you can subtract that from 30,000, and you can see what number you get. Um, And it just so happens that I did this a couple of weeks ago, and it turns out that, um, uh, depending on when people are listening to this, that this is uh, early March, it turns out on March 26, 2017, I will have my three-quarters of my life birthday, meaning I will have completed three-fourths of my life statistically. So um, it's kind of like a, um, uh, uh, you know, a football game, right? I'm going into the last quarter. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's, it, you know, some people might think, well, why would you want to think about that? Isn't that morbid, you know, and depressing? Yeah. Um, but it's realistic. And when I think of that, what it does for me is it makes me think, if there's things I need to do, I've only hopefully got one more quarter to do them. So for me, it's a, it's a wake-up call to really say, are there things in my life that I really have to step back from, get rid of, stop doing, cut back on, to make room, to make space for the things that are really important? Because I'm going into my last quarter. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if I'm going to finish this game, I want to finish it strong. I want to basically look at this last quarter and try to make it the best quarter of my life. Um, But to do that, I have to be willing to face the reality of my own mortality, right? That um, when we get up in the morning and we go to bed at night and we don't even consider the possibility, the likelihood we're going to die. I mean, we all know um, when we say that, that we all know we're going to die. But how many of us actually think about that each day? Um, But it's a wonderful reminder. Steve Jobs, in his famous commencement speech at Stanford, said something like, the best way to live your life fully is to constantly remind yourself that you're going to die. Because it gets right down to what's important for you to do today. Mm -hmm. See, I I keep thinking they're going to come up with some way for us to live forever. So I'm I'm on that path right now. Anyway, there's got to be another show about that. I think talking about that because you're, you're getting to the crux of something pretty deep here. So if you're interested, we could do we could pick this up at another time and talk about that. You know, avoiding death. Um, maybe find some positive ways to think about it, or you know, also the consideration of living forever. I don't know. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But. Um, would you be interested in doing that, possibly talking about that um, on another podcast? Um, sure, I don't. I don't know that um, living forever is something that I have a lot of experience with, but um, <laughs> I, I have experience with with living for sixty-one years or so, which is how old I am. Um, but I think the you know the real the real question for me is is 
less about longevity and more about how you live during the time that you have to live. There you because, go. That's right. Um, That's right. Because all we, all we really have is this moment anyway, because there's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about this too before that a person can be in their day job. Let's call it a day job. They can't stand it, uh-huh. but it's familiar. They, it's familiar mm-hmm. and they think it's secure, but Hey, the company could go under tomorrow. You don't know. You know, you just right. don't know any. There are there are no guarantees. That's the thing. Right. So mm-hmm. it's about living now, right? Right. And I think when we when we look at, um, uh, you know, I, I do a survey and I, I teach a course on living on purpose, and I always do a survey and I ask people, you know, are are you putting off to some future date what you really want to be doing with your life? And yeah. about seventy five percent of the people who answer that answer it yes in one way or another. Some people will say, well, I'm, I'm just putting it off until I retire in two years. And some people will say, I'm putting it off until five years from now when my kids are in college. So uh, people mm-hmm. are on different time frames, but there's uh, only a small percentage of people who actually say, no, you know, I'm actually the thing that I want to be doing. I'm actually doing it now. And, yeah. um, and I think it's, mm. it's important for us to really, realize that if we're putting something off, you know, even until next year, you think, well, you know, I, I want to write this novel, but I've got other kind of things I've got to take care of. So I'll start it next year. We're risking the possibility that we'll never basically do it. Because right, so there's, just no, saying, I, there's no ideal time. It's just get started. You've got to get started just, now. Yeah. You've, you've got to get started and start yeah. moving forward on it and and recognizing, just as you were saying, you know, all we have is the present moment, the present day of our life. And so as soon as we um, conform to this idea that, you know, um, I've got five years towards retirement and then I'll be able to really live the life that I want to live, that's mm-hmm. very risky. And I've worked um, long enough with people individually to know that um, a lot of the people I worked with who, who said that um, either they never got to that point or they got to that point, but so many things had changed in ways they didn't expect that what they wanted to do was no longer possible. Mm. And so, so going back that, to the yeah. issue of risk, right, mm-hmm. that, as you were saying, that's really that's the risk of inaction that's the risk of not mm-hmm. taking action on your dreams and on what mm-hmm. you really want to be doing so so everybody out there in listening land begin taking action today try and find that purpose do some contemplation if you're not sure what the purpose is and get started and on that happy note i want to thank you very much greg for being my special return guest on today's show and this has been Talk Box Radio. I'm your host, Lisa Earhart, and we will hear from you and talk with you again soon. Take care, everybody. Talk Box Radio. Talk Box Radio. Talk Box Radio. Talk Box Radio.